summer series. Today, I'm going to preach a message to you called Free to Worship. Free to Worship. If I had a subtitle today, it would be I'm Not Musical. Okay, I'm Not Musical. So you can write that down. Okay, Uh, I want to read Romans chapter 12 to you. Romans chapter 12 says this, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray for just a moment. God, we thank you for your word. We ask you to speak to us, challenge us, reveal things to us, God. We, uh, not our will, but your will be done. We lay our lives down before you today. We ask you to use us and speak through us, speak to us and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you remember in kindergarten or preschool when you were handed for the very first time this in a classroom? Do you remember what the classroom sounded like the day that you were handed this in a classroom? Parents, do you remember what your house sounded like when your kids came home from school after they had been handed this in a classroom? Yes. Do you remember how you wanted to bang your head against the wall the day they came home with this from their classroom? What you found out the day that these were handed out at school is you found out very quickly that some people are musical and some people are not. Some people are musical and some people are not. Usually there's a correlation. There's musical people and then there's like, you know, sports people. There's different groups of people. And usually those things don't cross, but sometimes they do. This morning we had Blake Berkeley on the drums uh, playing drums, super musical, athlete, runner. You know, you got multiple gifts there in one person, but often you're either musical or you're not. You're something else. Okay, uh, the other day I was walking into Food Lion at Chester, and there was a guy. This is not a recorder. He's playing a clarinet, but there's this guy outside, and this guy is a good musician, okay? I'm walking into Food Lion, and check out how he was serenading the parking lot. So good. So on the way into Food Lion, I'm recording him. On the way out, I'm like, what's your name? What's your phone number? And will you play at a Christmas service? (laughs) He was like, uh, uh, yeah, I would do that. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Like that guy, good, okay? But the reality is that most of us, like when we play or when we start playing, we sound more like this, okay? And if you can't tell the difference, you're not musical. <laughs> so if you were sitting there and you were like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You're not musical. 
Oh, man. There are musical people and there are not musical people. I'm a band nerd. I did band in high school and middle school. I'm, I love music. I, I consider myself somewhat musical, right? But there's a lot of people who, when we think about worship, we go, I'm not musical, therefore, I'm just not good at worship. I'm not musical, therefore, I'm just not good at worship. Worship's not really my thing. When I come to church, I don't really like the worship part. I like to listen to it, but, you know, I really enjoy you know, I like the message part of the church. I don't, I don't like the worship part of the church. Or I like the prayer part of the church. Or I like the coffee part of the church. <laughs> I'm not really a musical person. So during worship, I just kind of stand there and drink my coffee and just kind of, you know, that's, that's what we think of when we think of worship. There are musical people and there's not musical people. And in worship, a lot of times, you know, in church, in church service, you have different types of people during worship. You have the people who are literally just standing there drinking their coffee, and then you got the people who are like giving birth to a nation in the back of, uh, of the room. If you're like, what does that mean? If you grow up in 90s church, you know what giving birth to a nation in the back of the room means. You know, and then you've got the half-mass people. And then you got the hands-fully-lifted people. And then you have the eagles. <laughs> got people responding differently in worship. And a lot of people think, well, it's just not my personality to do this or that. I got to tell you, I loved that first song we sang this morning. I loved it. It's like my, my favorite song. Whoever added it, Greg and Amy, thank you guys for adding that to the list. It's so good. Band, you, get, you did a great job. But I watched you during worship, and some of you knew what to do, and some of you didn't know what to do. Because I'm not musical. I'm not musical, therefore I don't worship. I'm not musical, therefore I don't sing. I'm not musical, therefore I don't, I don't know what to do, right? What do I do during worship because I'm not musical? And so this message, I want to tell you today that you're free to worship even if you're not musical, all right? Let's talk about what worship is for just a second. Romans chapter 12 says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice Alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. What is reasonable service? There are three things that reasonable service can mean, okay? Uh, different theologians think that it means different things. But here's the three main ideas. The first thing that reasonable service could mean is Paul has just laid out Romans chapter 1 through 11, and he's talked about all the things God has done for us. And now we're saying that it is only reasonable, it is only logical, it is the only rational response to everything that God has done for you, that you would offer your bodies in return to him. Okay, so the first thing that reasonable can mean is it's only reasonable, it's only rational that after God has done all of this in your life, that you would turn around and say, God, you can have my life. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. It is only logical. In fact, Chris Ostom, who's a early church father, he said this. He said, it's absurd for those who are being led toward the kingdom of God to have sin ruling over them, or for those who are called to reign with Christ to choose to be captives to sin. How is it that sin can reign in you? Is it not from any power of its own, but only from your laziness. So what is he saying? He's saying if you've been freed by 
God from sin and you are still serving sin, you're doing it by choice. If you have been freed from sin by God and you are still intentionally serving sin, it's just because you're being lazy. Because God has freed you from sin. Now, I'm not talking about slipping up. I'm not talking about, you know, we, none of us are perfect. We get things wrong. I'm talking about a willful choice that you accept everything that God has done in your life, but then you turn back to God and say, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So he's saying that's, you're being lazy. Now, these early church fathers, they didn't mess around because every day people in their community were being fed to lions and crucified and for all these different things, martyred for following Jesus. And what they're saying is, man, like you've been freed from sin. Come on, let's, let's serve God. Let's worship God. Let's offer God our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's easy to die for Jesus if you've been living for Jesus, right? And so these guys don't mess around. So that might sound a little harsh to you, but what is he saying? He's saying it's only reasonable that you would offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God after all that he's done for you. Okay, the second thing that reasonable can mean is this. Wave at me if you have a pet here. You have a dog or a cat or something else, right? Um, you have a dog or a cat or a ferret or a fish or whatever. I know that some of you in this room think that your dog is smarter than other human beings that you know. I saw a video of Pastor Scott's dog watching TV straight up sits in front of the TV and will watch an entire movie. And you're like, my children won't do that. <laughs> and his dog, if, if you literally turn the movie on and you just sit there and watch from beginning to end an entire film, right? You might think about your, your pet and be like, dude, my dog is smarter than the person I'm driving behind right now. Or my cat is smarter than the person who's working behind this counter right now. Or you might have these thoughts that go through your mind. But the reality is this, that even the, even the lowest IQ human being is gifted with something from God. It is an image of God. There's an image-bearing nature of man. That man has this ability to choose. We have reason. We have ration. And what he's saying here is, this is your reasonable service. In other words, this is your service rendered by choice. You have a free will, you have a ration, you have the ability to choose. And he's saying, this is your service rendered by choice. In other words, God's not going to force you to worship, but this is your willing choice to serve. Jesus says in Mark, he says this, he says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With all your mind, using your mind, coming to God and saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose willingly and thoughtfully and intentionally, I'm going to choose to serve you. That's something animals can't do. And so in the Old Testament, when we would sacrifice animals to God, they were not willing participants in that kind of worship. Whereas you and I, we can be willing participants in offering our lives as sacrifices to God. Okay, here's the third thing that this can mean. Uh, this is your reasonable service, um, meaning this is worship understood reason, reasonably. This is worship properly understood. In the Greek, if you read the Greek, it's this is worship properly understood. Like if we understand what worship really is, 
We understand that worship is not just about a song that we sing. It's not just about a showtime on a Sunday morning. It's not just about the band and the lights and the sound. It is about your life being a living sacrifice to God. Worship properly understood is your life as a sacrifice before God. You know, when we think about worship, we tend to only think about what happens on Sunday morning. And the church for 2,000 years now has given so much focus and attention to what happens when we gather and we worship together. The songs we sing, the lifting of our hands, the, the band playing or the choir singing, the lights, the sound. You know, there's a lot of people who come to our church and they say, I want something more traditional. I don't understand, you know, the lights and the sound. It's, I, I want something more traditional. And usually what they say when they say, I want something more traditional, they're usually talking about like a Catholic church or something, you know, old, old tradition. I want to go to a Catholic church. And what's funny is that the Catholic church did what we do now a thousand years ago. All the stained glass, you know what that was? That was LED light fixtures back in the day. That was the sun shining through and casting color light into the, into the worship service. You know, we turn the hazer on in here so it's a little cloudy so that you see the beams of light. You know what they did, you know, at the Catholic Church? Check this out. This is the production team getting the hazer ready. <laughs> I want something a little more traditional. If by traditional you mean that you want the hazer to be shaped like a silver incense burner. But like they're doing smoke, they're doing lights, they're doing good sound. Before there was good sound systems, they literally designed buildings so that they would echo and, and magnify and amplify sound. So I hate to tell you this, but like those people who are like, worship is not supposed to be. No, it should be an awesome atmosphere. It should be an awesome atmosphere. We should work really hard to make sure that the band actually plays the right notes. Thank you, Greg and Amy. We should work really hard to make sure that our band is singing in key. <laughs> we should work really hard to make sure that the lights and the atmosphere and the sound, we should. But that is not worship in its entirety. That is only a part of worship. That is the corporate gathering. But worship in our lives is when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. A living sacrifice to God. That is worship properly understood. You know what would make our worship service so much more powerful starting next weekend? Is if we didn't just wait till next weekend to worship God. But if our church, every day this week, if our church was going, God, my hands are yours. God, my heart is yours. God, my mouth is yours. God, my eyes are yours. God, my mind is yours. God, everything that I am is yours. If we did that, I got to tell you that our worship service next week would feel a lot different. Because we're not just putting on a show once a week, but it's a lifestyle that we're living. It's easy to lift our hands on a Sunday morning, and it's easy to worship when we're next to other people. We're all worshiping God. That's, that's the easiest time to worship God. But when we are standing behind a teller counter on Monday morning, right, and people are yelling at us about the job that we're doing, or when we're, you know, at our workplace, and that, it, that, it becomes harder to worship God. 
But that's the time where if we'll learn to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, God, my life is yours. My hands are yours. My, my mouth is yours. My mind is yours. If we'll do that, then our worship on Sunday is going to get better and better and better. Our worship throughout the week, because that's what worship is properly understood. So, you, so you're like, okay, I'm not musical. I'm not musical. And I want to read Romans chapter 6 to you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says here, offer your members. Members is your body parts, okay? Offer your members, offer your body, not to sin, but to God for righteousness. Don't offer yourselves, don't offer your bodies to sin to be instruments of unrighteousness, but offer your bodies to God to be used as instruments for righteousness. Now, as I said before, I'm, I'm, I was a band nerd, okay? I am a band nerd. I'm still at heart, I'm a band nerd, okay? And um, when, I was, when I was in sixth grade, they put me on trombone. So I was playing trombone in sixth grade. And uh, instruments are disgusting. They might sound good. They might, you know, a band might sound awesome. But instruments are disgusting. I got that trombone and I brought it home and they said, hey, you should clean your instrument regularly. Like you should clean it out regularly, whatever. I hadn't, someone gave me this trombone. I had never played it before. I took it home. I put it in soapy water and ran this thing through it to try to clean it out. The water was green and brown as I was cleaning this trombone. It's disgusting. Okay, even a clean instrument, there's this part of this instrument called a spit valve. Just even the name is disgusting. You know what a spit valve is? A spit valve is as you're playing, the, the, the spit, literally the condensation builds in the instrument and you have to empty the spit out of the instrument or else it won't play properly. So you push the spit valve and you blow and that spit just goes all over the ground. Okay. Instruments are gross. So sixth grade, I'm playing trombone. It's disgusting. I'm cleaning it out. When I get to high school, at this point, I'm a real nerd. And they have put a lip bumper on me and headgear at night. Okay, so I had to wear headgear at night. And during the day, I had this lip bumper that was literally like it pushed my lip out so far. And the whole idea was that it was pushing my teeth further back because I needed to create space in my mouth for the braces. It was so annoying, right? So they're like, you can't play trombone anymore because literally I could not play trombone anymore. So they switched me over to French horn, smaller mouthpiece. I'm playing French horn. And now I get a school issued instrument at school because a French horn is thousands of dollars. They're very expensive. So they give me a school issued instrument. I take it home. I wash it green and brown water. It's disgusting. I get it back to the school. And now we're going to start the school year. I'm going to play at band. And so I go to band class. I grab my French horn. I go in. I open it up. I set it all up. I start playing and I'm like, something is not right. Something is not right. There was a nasty smell. I was like, this is disgusting. And there was a nasty taste. Hate to be vulgar, but that was, it was like, this, something is not right. And then I looked at the case and I had someone else's French horn. 
So when I get home from school, I'm Googling, can you get an STD from a French horn? <laughs> Mom, I have bad news. I have an STD, but I wasn't French kissing a girl. I was French kissing a French horn. <laughs> it's like the nerdiest thing that you could possibly do. So, uh, so disgusting. Not my French horn, right? Um, this instrument, though, you have a clean instrument or you have a dirty instrument. And an instrument can be used for righteousness in God or an instrument can be used for unrighteousness and sin. Your life and my life, in this analogy, he is, he is calling us the instrument used for righteousness or used for unrighteousness. You don't have to be musical. You are not the musician. You are the instrument. You don't have to be musical. You are not the musician. You are the instrument. And you are either being played by sin for unrighteousness or you are being played by God for righteousness. So what is he saying? He's saying real worship is for you to offer your bodies God, this body is yours. Use me for your glory. Use me for your kingdom. Use me for your benefit. Use me for your uh, righteousness. Use me, God, as an instrument of righteousness. In other words, I'm not coming to God trying to play a, be a beautiful song to God or do this. I'm, I'm saying to God, God, I'm your instrument. I, I, am, I am clean, I am like you have cleansed me, you have, you have made me clean before you. Now God, use my hands, use my mind, use my feet, use my body, use my body to glorify God. I am just the instrument. You don't have to be musical, but you do have to be a willing instrument to be used by God. Now maybe if you're not musical here today, you're like, this analogy doesn't relate to me. That word instrument just means tool. It could be you know, if you're a builder here today, I'm telling you, you don't have to build your life. You are a tool in the hand of God. Let him use your life to build his kingdom, right? If you, maybe if you're, you know, a sports person here today, right? A Come on, how many golfers do we have? Come on, this is so good. You are the club in the hand of the golfer. You don't have to get your swing perfectly right. He is going to swing your life. He is going to use your life. You are just the tool that says, God, I'm available to you. I'm available to you. You don't have to be musical. You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be, you just have to be available to God. Okay, so then he says this, Romans chapter 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. I want to talk about these three things real quick. Alive, holy, and pleasing to God. What does it mean to be a willing sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Let's talk about alive for just a moment, alive. Um, anyone in here had surgery before? I had my tonsils out, I had to go to surgery, I had to be put under, and they, they're taking out my tonsils. And um, when I have surgery done, I wanna be knocked out. Knock me out, right? I gotta get a cavity filled. It's like an old, it's like an old filling that's come loose, and they gotta go refill it. And they're like, okay, we can numb you. We can, and I'm like, what's the one where you just like put me to sleep? What's the one where you just like, 
knock me out, and then I wake up and my teeth are great. Like, what is that one? And they're like, we don't really do that for just a little filling. And I'm like, no, you need to do that, right? I want to be out. I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to remember anything. I don't want to know what's going on. Knock me out. It's easy to be a willing participant when you just turn off your faculties. (laughs) It's easy to say, yeah, do whatever surgery you want to do. I'm going to be out. It's hard to be a sacrifice that is alive. It is hard to be fully alert, fully aware, and feel everything and say, yes, God. That's hard. And what we want a lot of times is we want to be under anesthesia when it comes time to obey God when we don't want to obey God. Even in the way we pray, there's a lot of times where we come up and we, and we pray you know, God, take away these desires or, 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 or do this or do that. And it's like, we just want, like, we want God to rid us of any uh, choice that we have to make that's contrary to our own nature, right? But you know, when, when Jesus taught us to pray, he doesn't say, God, solve all my problems for me. He says, we pray, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, God doesn't just magically, like, take that desire away from you. You might have to willingly give it up. God doesn't magically take away your your desire to sin. You might have to willingly lay it down. He will free you and he will give you the ability and he will empower you. But man, so many times we stay imprisoned to sin out of our own, what Christosom says, our own laziness. Our own, no, I like it here. I'm comfortable here. But laying down things, that takes takes some feeling. Sometimes, sometimes, me choosing to honor God instead of, man, oh man. There's so many times where I'm in the car and someone pulls out and does a thing and the words that my mouth wants to say, you know, the things I want to do, but a, a, a living sacrifice means I'm aware, I'm alert, I'm awake, and I'm, and I'm going, this hurts, but I'm gonna choose God over, over myself. Okay, that's the first part of life. The second part of life, though, is that even though you are alert to what's going on, you have a new nature in you because of Jesus. And that new nature inside of you is going to empower you to say no to some things and to say yes to God. That new nature is, uh, the, the Bible tells us that even when we do good works, it's God working in us to work both the desire and the completion of the good works in our life. In other words, every good thing that I do in my life is because God gives me both the desire and the ability to do it. So a living sacrifice means, God, you have brought me to life. You have brought me to new life. And because I have new life, I can serve you. Because I have new life, I can do the good things you've called me to. Because I have new, uh, new life, I can do the good things that you've called me to long before the foundations of the earth, right? Because of this new life, I am able to do it. I'm alive, I'm alert, I'm aware. We're not dead sacrifices. You know, when they would sacrifice a bull in the Old Testament, perfect, flawless, every hair had to be right, everything had to be right, they would kill that bull, they would slaughter that animal, and then it was done, it was over. But in your life and in my life, every single day, we're on an altar. Every single day, we're making ourselves available to God. Not just on Sunday, not just in some things, but every single day we're living sacrifices 
every single day we're going, yes, God, whatever you want from me, whatever you need from me, whatever you would have from me, it's yours, right? Alive. Then he says this, holy, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Holy, what is holy? This word has been forgotten in modern church culture, okay? Uh, Holy. Um, Some people imagine holy, maybe you grew up in a church there's, you know, Pentecostal holiness churches, right? Maybe you've heard that term holy, and maybe holy in your mind means if you walk into church wearing a hat, God's going to kill you. Or if you're a woman and you walk into church with pants on, God's going to kill you. Not that you don't wear pants, but that you must wear a skirt, right? Um, or, or there's all kinds of people who have this idea of holiness that, like, your hair's got to be the most crazy big hair in the world, or, or you've got to wear, you know, women have to wear this certain thing, and men have to do this certain thing, and that's what holiness means, or, you know, don't say these three words, do say these ten words, you know, whatever it is, holiness is, we, we, we tend to think about holiness as just external conformity, right? Or you have the other problem in modern church where we just don't even talk about holiness at all. We don't even talk about holiness at all. We tend to think of holiness as holiness is what God is, and you and I, we're sinners, and God likes it that way. He likes that he's holy and we're sinners, and we're going to keep it that way. No, God says, be holy as I am holy. Holiness is a God idea. When you and I offer our bodies as living sacrifices, we are living, we are holy, and we are pleasing to God. What is holy? Holy in the most basic sense means um, it's, it's to cut apart, to cut away, or to separate. In other words, it is set apart. It is different from. And God is holy because he is not you and me. Right? Uh, Buddhism teaches that God is in everything and God is everything. No, Christianity teaches, no, God is holy. In other words, God is Like, we do not compare to God. God is righteous. He is right. We tend to think of God as, like, the love God. He's he's loving, and he's, he's so loving, and he loves me, and he's obsessed with me, and he thinks I'm cute. Like, that's what we think about when we talk about God. And when I come into church, I worship a God who also worships me in return. Right? We, we, we tend to, when we lift our hands and we sing, we're like, we're like, yes, God, because you're going to fulfill all my dreams. And you're going to do all of my desires. And how many know that when you serve God for a while, there's stuff you pray for for years that sometimes you don't even see it happen. Right? You're not serving God because he's a magic genie in a bottle that will will serve you in return. You're serving God because he is holy. So we, we tend to think of like the love God. He, you know, he loves me. He thinks I'm cute. I think I'm cute. So we get along. Right? I'm obsessed with me and he's obsessed with me, so he and I are like this because he's obsessed with me, right? Or we we tend to think about God like he is there to serve my needs. God, you are for me. You are for me. That's how we tend to think of God. What the Bible uses this word holy over 900 times in Scripture. Over 900 times it says holy, and we don't preach about it like ever in modern church. Holy over 900 times. Uh, holy is what the Holy Spirit is called. The third person of the Trinity isn't called the love spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit. 
Now, he is a spirit of love, but his name is Holy Spirit. Uh, when the elders and the angels that are around the throne, they, the song they sing over and over and over is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They, they sing holy over and over and over again. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're supposed to pray, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. God is a holy God. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you see all about the sacrifices that had to be offered to God. And you see, like, without blemish, without wrinkle, without everything that we offered to God had to be that way. Now, I don't personally believe that that's just because God is sitting in heaven going, I demand this sacrifice from you, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be angry. I don't believe that. I believe that he told us to give our absolute best as a constant reminder that he is holy. In other words, you don't come to God and give him your leftovers. God gets the best of me, right? I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, we talk about tithing, right? When you give to church, you tithe, you give the first 10% of your, of your, uh, of everything, of your increase. You give 10% to the the house of God. Okay, tithing. Some people say tithing is, is a old thing and it's, we're not under the law anymore. Tithing preceded the law. People gave a 10th before the law was ever written, And afterwards, people are still tithing. So tithing, now the principle of tithing is not just about the 10% number. It's about the first 10%. Why is that? Because when we give, we're to be constantly reminded, God, I'm going to give you the first, the best, everything. I'm going to give you the best of what I have. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give to you before I even worry about feeding myself. I'm going to give to you before I even, why? Because what I'm doing is I'm properly orienting. No, he is a holy God. He is set apart. He is high and above. Now, if you're in the room today and you don't tithe, this, I'm not, this is not a tithing message. You know, I also don't want you to give a bull here today, okay? It's not a tithing message. What I'm saying is all of the things that we offer to God, we, we offer him our first. We offer him our best. Why? Because he is holy. We don't, we don't come to him with the end of it. You know, when you get married, you, you give each other the best of who you are until you have kids. <laughs> and everyone's laughing because you know it's true. Once you have kids, it's a war zone. And when you're married and it's just the two of you, you're like, life is awesome. Life's amazing. You're like flying to Italy, Linny and Helena. <laughs> <laughs> You're like flying to Italy and you're like, we just love each other. Life is amazing. And then you have a child and your Instagram feed changes. Why? Because there's a new thing in the mix. And at the end of the day, you start to see your spouse as like a co-laborer in the war. And you're, and, and you're like, you're fighting. And at the end of the day, you're like, how dare you want anything from me? Do you not see the sacrifice and the life that I, you know, that I, that I give? And you, you start to kind of view each other that way. Why? Because you don't, you don't have the best to give anymore because you're giving it in other places, right? Um, but that's, like, that's not how we pursue God. 
we give God the first and the best and, and the best of who we are. And, and when we do that, man, it's so crazy in, in your marriage or in your relationship, even with kids, when you stop for a moment and go, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We're not really giving each other our best. When you start to give your, each other your best again, man, new life comes into the relationship and, there's, and there's, there's a new energy and a new excitement in the house. Why? Because when you give each other your best, like that's what we're supposed to be. Now, when we give to God, when we give to God, we don't want to just give God lip service. We want to give him our whole lives. And what is holiness in your life and my life? The Old Testament focused a lot on ceremonial holiness, which was external holiness. What you wear, how you talk, who can and who can't give, who, you know, how this works and how that works. In the New Testament, he focuses a lot on internal holiness that we would call the character of God. In other words, in your life and in my life, God is not concerned with external conformity. He is concerned with my heart being like Jesus. He says, don't be, in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does God want from us? He doesn't want a conformity. He wants us to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our mind. That is what real holiness looks like. Real holiness is when I'm growing in Christ-likeness. When I was a kid and I was learning how to ride a bike, my dad took off the training wheels and he said, I'm going to hold the bike and I want you to just pedal. I'm like, okay. So he held the bike and I pedaled. And at some point I turned around and I realized my dad wasn't holding the bike anymore. And as soon as I realized that, I fell over. (laughs) As soon as I realized that, I fell over. But what was happening there? My dad was doing the work, but ultimately he wanted me to learn how to ride the bike for myself. Now, in your life and in my life, we never, ever are free from dependency on God, okay? All the righteousness, all the holiness in our life is only because of God. But God doesn't just want to hold the bike and do the work for us. He wants us to grow in holiness where it becomes not just an external thing, but an internal thing. So that riding the bike is second nature, Serving God is second nature. Thinking like God is second nature. Talking like God is second nature. Behaving like God is second nature. He wants us to grow in holiness. When we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, you and I will become holy. Now, I'm not talking about being weird (laughs) at work. I am holy. Holiness is something other people can see. You don't need to say it. You probably shouldn't say it. If you are saying it, you're probably not holy. There's only two types of people, okay? There are sinners who think they're saints, and there's saints who know they're sinners, okay? There's there's only two types of people, sinners who think they're saints, or saints who know they're sinners. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say if we want to grow in that saint, if we want to become holy, that's what a saint is, right? If we want to grow in that, we got to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I offer you my life today. Help me to think like you. Help me to behave like you. Make me holy, okay? That's holy. And here's the last one here. Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. Alive, holy, and pleasing to God. What is pleasing to God? Um, 
you know, I, I get up here and I, I preach or we have other people preach. And when we come off the stage, we love to hear, hey, that was a great message. We love to hear that. But at the end of the day, the end of the day, like, I don't really care if you love or hate the message as long as it was pleasing to God. You know, in, in, my, in, my, in my house, right, um, my, my kids, I want them to love their dad. I want them to think the best of me. I want them to say, my dad is so awesome. My dad is amazing. But at the end of the day, when I stand before God, I care more than anything. I care about hearing God say, well done in the way you led your kids. Well done in the way you served your kids. Well done in the way you parented and pastored your kids. Well done. You know, in my, in my relationships, I care about what you think. I want you to like me. You know, I, 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 I'm needy that way. I want to I be liked. I want to be, you know, admired. But at the end of the day, when I get before God, the only opinion that matters is, God, do you think I did a good job? Was I pleasing to you? Did I, like, did you receive, like, when, when I, when I, when I worshiped, was, did you like that? Like, was that pleasing to you? Or did you feel like, did you feel like I was maybe like really just kind of serving myself, but singing, singing the song? Like, did you feel like I was like attending church, but I was doing it for the wrong motive, you know, or I was serving, but I was doing it for the, God, I want to please you. Uh, there's this, there's this film that just came out. I just saw this interview from Shia LaBeouf, who apparently went on some crazy journey where he was, I don't know, I don't know much about Shia LaBeouf except for that he played this film just recently that just came out this weekend called Padre Pio. And, um, and he played this Catholic uh, father who um, at one point in this, this man's life was outcast by the church. And he didn't fight the church and come back to the church and say, how dare you? I have this following and these people admire me and these people respect me and these people. He goes, okay, God, okay. If this is where you have me, if this is what you have me doing, I'm gonna focus on Christ-likeness. I'm gonna focus on being faithful. I'm gonna focus. And then he was brought back in. And how many of us though, if we were wronged by church or if someone outcast us or someone pushed us out, we would be like letting everybody know. Look at the church. Look at what the church does. Look at how the church treats people. Look at how, um, but the, you know, all that reveals is that we were living for the praise and adoration of the people of the church. If we're living for the praise and adoration of God, if we want to be pleasing to God, there's no scene to be made here. There's no song to sing here. It's just God. Okay, I'm being wronged by people right now. I just want to be pleasing to you, though. Like, how should I behave right now? How should I respond right now? You know, in, in your marriage, your spouse might say some pretty horrible things about you and to you. But if you adopt this attitude, God, I want to be pleasing to you. What would you have me do? He might actually have you serve that person in return. Serve your spouse. Be faithful. And when you do that, you might go, okay, you know what, God? I need to learn to just be pleasing to God. If I'm pleasing to God, he's going to make me a better spouse. He's going to make me a better um, father. He's going to make me a better, a better pastor. He's going to make me a better preacher if I'm pleasing to God. But my, my entire desire in this life is, God, I want to be pleasing to you, Jesus. I just want to be pleasing 
to you. So you don't have to be musical. You are the instrument, you are not the musician. God is the musician. But you do have to be a willing instrument. God, here, have me. Take my hands, take my mind. You know, I'm yours. Right? I'm here to serve you, God. And when you do that, God is going to make you a sacrifice that is alive, holy, and pleasing to God. That's all that matters at the end of the day, is were we pleasing to God? Can I pray a prayer over you? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for worship properly understood, that it's not just about a song, it's not just about a singer or a, or a band or any of that stuff, but worship properly understood is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, alive, holy, and pleasing. Help us this week to grow in alive, holy, and pleasing. Help us to serve you faithfully. God, help us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you. And God, we pray that we would truly be pleasing to you in every way as instruments, not of sin, but of righteousness. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.